Good morning, listeners. You are listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And your presenters today are myself, Jacob Anjwafa. And me, Zane Alcorn. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge that FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from the Wandry land of the Kula Nation. I like to acknowledge that this always was, always will be, Aboriginal land and that sovereignty has never been um, ceded. And FreeCR and Green Left Radio are committed to the struggle of First Nations sovereignty and will always amplify the voices of, of First Nations people on our, in, our, on, in our work. Okay, um, so just to give a bit of a rundown for what we have planned, there's, ov- there's obviously quite a lot to kind of talk about in terms of news that happened this week. We're going to start off by um, speaking to Sue Bull um, to have a bit of a political discussion about Palestine. Sue Bull is a member of the Socialist Alliance National Executive, but also she also has some extra experience because she actually recently visited um, Palestine as part of a solidarity tour. So she'll be we'll be getting some of um, some of those um, some of her perspectives there. But I think in a sense we're going to have a, a good political discussion about you know some of the current events and the question around how we can we can build a global solidarity movement from Palestine. And then one of the other sort of big events that sort of happened, well, I probably, my views, I didn't think it was necessarily a big event, but it was obviously a big sort of, politi- it was obviously a big important thing that we have to reflect on, which is the voice to referendum result. So we're going to be speaking to Peter Boyle, um, from Green Left, who has actually written quite a lot, and in fact, he wrote an article um, reflecting on the referendum result and, you know, how left-wing people should can um, should be responding to it. Okay, now, um, I'd like to, um, I guess, a few a few things to note. Um, I like, I think, um, the first um, sort of headline news story I like um, I like to kind of bring up is um, yesterday actually had quite a successful rally in um, in the Marybeck area uh, for Palestine. Um, the rally was initiated by. Uh, Sue Bolton and um, Monica Hart, both Mary Beck sort of um, councillors, and for a rally that was kind of called at very short notice, um, it kind of it drew up to possibly 500 to 800 people, but there were some people who actually estimated there were a thousand. Um, we basically, you know, as someone who was at the protest and um, was part of organising it, um, we, basically we filled up um, Bell Street Reserve, which is on the corner of Bell Street and. Um, and Sydney Road in Coburg. And I guess one of the sort of features of the sort of action is, in addition to having uh, a speaker, which featured um, various uh, Palestinian voices, and in fact, Annie 
um, from Solidarity um, Breakfast um, actually recorded all the talks, so she might be playing some of the um, some of the featured um, speech speeches um, on her program tomorrow. Um, but yeah, we heard from Palestinian speakers. We also heard from some members from the local kind of nor- um, community, and the rally was sort of pitched as a northern sort of suburb sort of speak out. And being on the kind of the kind of busy sort of intersection of Sydney Road and Bell Street, you know, we got a lot of we actually had a lot of um, you know a lot of uh, um, people sort of holding up signs, and we got actually lots of um, demonstrations of support for Palestine. But I think um, in terms of the actual um, in terms of the actual kind of protest, um, I think it's very good that these sort of localised sort of protests are happening. In fact, I've actually just heard that there's actually going to be a other speak-out actually in the western suburbs in Caroline Springs. So I'll get the details for that and promote it as um, part of the activist calendar. But, yeah, I think the other thing I've also noticed is in parts of the United Kingdom... Um, there's actually there's actually been spontaneous protests in small parts of in small states, including um in Preston, um not the Preston in in Melbourne, but in the um, um in the town of Preston, there was a, a spontaneous rally called for Palestine, and that attracted up to two thousand people. And I think there's sort of like, and we'll probably be having more of a kind of discussion about this, but I think it just sort of shows that you know there's a there's an element of a very strong mass support for. For Palestine, and um, and I think you know there's a, there's a and I think you know you don't see a similar kind of mass movement for uh, for for in support of Israel because really in a sense it sort of reflects that the Zionist project of Israel is very much you know it's the domain of of the ruling class and of course we're going to be having a bit more of discussion with that with Sue Bull. Now the other story I just want to highlight is. Um, is uh, a group of uh, refugee uh, women um, over, um, over uh, around 22 um, just arrived uh, arrived in Canberra on 18th of October um, for the final leg of their 640 kilometre walk for the freedom of 10,000 refugees. Um, you know, reports on the ground from people um, from people who who came um, who are in, um, from activists in Canberra is that the women were met with a huge by a huge um, crowd of supporters, including uh, including their daughters who spoke along who spoke alongside them to plead you know to basically plead for an um, for the demand for permanent re- um, permanent visas for refugees, and there were you know a number of politicians, although I sort of don't know. Which politicians, presumably the green, um, the, some of the Greens politicians and some of the independents who have been supportive of refugees, um, also met with the refugees and congratulated them. And their story has actually been um, reflected in the Guardian. So they've, um, there's, if you go into the Guardian, there's an article titled "We've Walked 640 Kilometres to Canberra to Plead for an End to an Anguish," to our anguish, and Rizzo Limbo is breaking our hearts. So. Yeah, this was something that was organised by this was this protest this um walk for ref, uh, was organised by uh, the Re- Refugee Women for uh, Action for Visa Equality Group, and I think you know I think want to send all the kind of solidarity um to the refugee um women. I think it's I think it's just it's really I think it's been really important that in terms of the refugee movement that you know refugees have been the ones who have kept the have kept the kind of fight going so many refugees live in um permanent in limbo with um with with the their uh, with temporary visas and the fact that the labor party is actually ref, is refusing to implement its promise of 
you know, permanent refuge of permanent resident, um, permanent um, visas, permanent residents for these refugees, I think is is very terrible. Is terrible, and I think it's just that it, um, it just demonstrates, you know, the fact that despite the fact that the ALP like to present themselves as having as something other than scum, yeah, um, their policy is not, not much different from the coalition when they're on power. Mm. Mm. Um, in fact, actually. I mean, one random sort of point. Uh, uh, technically, more refugees have been released under the coalition government when you t- take into account the Park Hotel um, and the Broadmeadows uh, than they have been under Labor governments. Although that said, that under the Labor government, we did have the um, the Freedom One for Prayer, and they, obviously there has been some permanent vi- per- a number of permanent visas were given to refugees, but they have not given any visas permanent visas to refugees who have arrived um, by boat. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm just going to go play a quick few announcements. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. The fears are Palestinian staffs and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes for fears, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white fear to an array of modern designs, explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Where your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafias.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Commons Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM, and we are very happy to be joined today by Sue Bull, uh, member of Socialist Alliance, um, and recently wrote um, the article around uh, about uh, an article about Palestine titled "Stop Israel's Genocidal Attack on Gaza," which is, um, has been published in Green Left. Sue Bull was also part of a of a tour. Um, a, a solidarity tour to Palestine and actually spent a number of weeks um, in Palestine recently. And in fact, in terms of the fortunate timing, she um, fortunately was there prior to the kind of outbreak of, um, of bombings um, by, by Israel uh, against Palestine. Um, and so, yeah, good morning. Um, good morning, Sue. Hi. Um, 
we will we'll go to obviously get a start we'll obviously get to go into a bit of a discussion about obviously what's happening in Palestine right now and of course how you know left-wing people should be kind of responding to the situation that's currently unfolding which is incredibly tragic but I guess I want to sort of hear because we haven't had you on the program yet to talk about it I kind of want to hear I want to kind of hear like you know to start off with your impressions of your recent solidarity tour to Pol- um, to Palestine and you know some of the kind of lessons and the um, that you kind of drew from there in terms of building solidarity for Palestine? Oh, yeah, no problem. Well, we were in Palestine, I think, for about um, 11 or 12 days in early August, um, which is a very hot time of the year. <laughs> that was part of our problem. It was incredibly hot. Um, and we were largely in Jerusalem, which um, I don't know if the, many of the listeners have been there or seen, but it's an incredibly amazing, very, very old city um, in Palestinian territory, of course, but very much um, disputed by the Israelis. So what you find is the tension within the West Bank is just growing every day. So we were there, of course, long before this uh, the the trouble with, with the whole uh, bombing of Gaza. But um, one of the things that was really noticeable is that the tension was just extremely high. And it was palpable, actually, um, for a number of reasons. But the main reason, of course, is the fact that Israel has decided that there will be nowhere on the West Bank that is free from their um, observation um, and that they dominate. So life for an ordinary Palestinian um, is increasingly unbearable. Uh, People are killed daily, their children are locked up, their farms are stolen, they face confrontation with settlers on the outskirts. But even in central Jerusalem, you just find that more and more um, houses that had been owned by Palestinians or where Palestinians live, Israelis are moving in, and that immediately increases the tension within the neighbourhood. So, um, and I'm someone who's actually also very interested in history and archaeology, and even on that score you find that there's enormous amounts of archaeological d- diggings going on, but they're being largely sponsored by the Israelis, and anything that shows the history of um, the region generally is ignored in favour of something that helps them prove that King David was actually there 3,000 years ago. So you even find distortions on that level. Um, so whilst I found the whole thing fascinating, it was incredibly stressful being there. Hmm. And... Probably just want to hear kind of a bit kind of more, um, just in terms of kind of like the situation of West Bank, because obviously the spotlight has generally kind of been shown on Gaza, but more than a 100 people this year alone have been killed in kind of West Bank. And I guess I want to kind of hear about, in terms of the whole kind of Zionist sort of ideology that's sort of built up in... um, in, in Israel, that's for, that's foundation to its existence. You know what has been. You know what can you sort of tell us about some of the outbreaks of of Israeli settler violence against um, against Palestinians um, within within the West Bank region? 
Mm, okay. Well, look, let me just first start by saying that there is no doubt that this is an apartheid state. There is absolutely no doubt. Um, starting in Jerusalem to begin with, um, where you don't really see much of the settlers, but you do see, you know, huge parts of the ultra-Orthodox community um, who don't necessarily confront Palestinians per se, but they are actually quite a privileged layer of the community. Um, the, 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 the men largely spend their time studying the Torah and are often um, given stipends by the state to do that. And this part of the community is, is just hugely growing. And they just completely and utterly live in a bubble. You know, they have nothing to... They're, they're quite um, despising of tourists, <laughs> definitely despising of Palestinians. So in you know the central part of Jerusalem, you see a lot of the ultra-Orthodox there who just, you know, live in this bubble which ignores the lives of Palestinians, but they're very privileged in that sense. Um, and, you know, I think the Palestinians are just seen as almost as a servant layer. Um, so that's something that's quite palpable within Jerusalem. Um, what you also see is the military is everywhere, everywhere. So if you want to go to Al-Aqsa Mosque, you know, which is where... By the way, Al-Aqsa Mosque is incredibly beautiful. And from any part of Jerusalem that you are... You know, its golden dome just shines out above everything else. So it's an incredibly um, outstanding landmark. So if you want to go and visit there, it is ringed by the military um, and you've got to go through essentially, not exactly checkpoints to get in there, but just military pointing their guns in your face. And as a continuous provocation to the, to the um, Palestinian population... They allow ultra-Orthodox Jews to go in, um, which is seen as a provocation, but then they're surrounded by the military as if they're under imminent attack at all, at all minutes. And yet, Alexa Mosque is an incredibly peaceful, beautiful place. So that's just a contrast, you see. If you go over to Bethlehem, um, and that's one of the ones where I saw a very dramatic contrast, Bethlehem is a Palestinian... Uh, Christian city, it is surrounded by the wall. In every So here's this ancient, ancient city, you know, prized by Christians around the world, but prized by historians too, because it's an amazing place. But on everywhere you go, you're surrounded by the wall, just hemming people in. And not everyone can go because um, uh, if you're a Palestinian, you've got to go through checkpoints to get in or out. Um, and you can be rejected at any time if you live there. So you just see, you know, it's like uh, absolutely and almost hermetically sealed. And there's parts of the West Bank that are just like that. And these parts have regular confrontations with, um, um, especially, you know, places like Nazareth, um, regular confrontations with settlers who are becoming increasingly armed and increasingly volatile and violent. Um, so just... Um, if we could just drill, as they as they say these days, drill down a bit further. Um, in in Gaza, it's sort of well until recently, Gaza was its own sort of little slab of Palestine that didn't have all of these checkpoints in it. Whereas the West Bank is full of these 
checkpoints and borders and troops. Um, can you give us a bit of a comparison um, if if Melbourne was like the West Bank and I wanted to go from Broad Meadows down to Frankston, what would that process be like? If if a Palestinian wants to travel from one end of the West Bank to the other, what would that process be like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it would depend on where you came from. <laughs> so if you come, like Ramallah is seen as the um, as the sort of unofficial capital of Palestinians on the West Bank. Um, so it's, if you're from Ramallah, you're absolutely despised by the Israelis. So it's harder to get in and out of Ramallah than... Um, not, not always, but very often. So it depends on where you're coming from. So if you think of this, like I'm down here in Geelong, um, Gaza itself is no bigger than the peninsula down here. So we're talking small spaces, but the West Bank isn't all that is bigger, but it's not all that much bigger either. So we're talking very small areas in reality. Um, but you, you, it, let's say one day you want to go from Ramallah to Jerusalem or something like that. First of all, if you're Palestinian, your number plate says that you're Palestinian. If, if you're um, Israeli, it says that you're Israeli. So Israelis just get through everywhere. Palestinians get picked up. And if you want to go from one place to another, it may turn out that the checkpoint that you want to go through is closed. <laughs> so... You're coming from Broadmeadows into Melbourne and already the checkpoint in Coburg is closed. So mm. now you've got to find another way to get there. And you get to the next checkpoint, and let's say that's in um, Pasco Vale or somewhere like that, um, then now you're going to have to wait an hour or several hours longer because the Coburg one's closed. And the reality is by that stage, if you were trying to make your way into the centre of Melbourne, um, more than likely you've missed your appointment. Mm. So forget that. Even if you gave yourself three or four hours more to get to your appointment. What if so, it's a medical emergency? What if you're in an ambulance? Are you given priority? Well, I can't tell you because I never thought... I, that's, a, that's a really good question, Zane. I can't tell you. But no, not usually. That there aren't necessarily seen to be uh, medical emergencies for um, Palestinians, um, so uh, I, I, I don't, I can't answer you that to you, but mm. quite possibly not. Mm. So you, you just see all of these disasters in daily life for Palestinians if they want to move around, and that can be just going to work, mm. let alone a medical emergency. So when so, people talk about apartheid, this is kind of what they're a big part of what they're talking about, yeah, this this really granular and, and overbearing control of every little aspect of life and every bit of movement in, in the West Bank. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and in other, like we went to other parts of, of Israel, like Akka, there's still quite large um, Arabic communities, Palestinian, actually, communities in places like Akka, but they live in the poorest areas. So... Even on that level, where, you know, it is a bit easier to move because there's certainly no checkpoints in Akka or um, Haifa or any of those cities, they still live in the poorest areas, are relegated to the, the lowest-paying jobs and, you know, and they still face continuous discrimination. So if you're in the West Bank disaster, if you're in Gaza, open-air prison, but even if you're in the other parts of Israel, life is grindingly hard 
And more than likely, you're living somewhere which is not where your family came from if you're pushed into these areas. So on every level, you see discrimination and and um, um, real inhibitions. And if you compare it to Australia, um, what you really see is that this... Like, you would have very little movement around just the city of Melbourne alone. You know, and you can't, we, I know we can't even really imagine that because you can get on a train or get in a car and drive anywhere you like. But that is not the case for Palestinians on the West Bank and certainly Gaza, which we didn't go to, of course, just an open-air prison. And um, speaking of Gaza, I, I think I, I was hoping we can we can possibly go into actually hearing a bit from your perspective, give, um, you know, drawing a bit on your kind of article about, you know, you know what about some of your comments on the current kind of events that are kind of happening uh, in in Palestine, especially you know Israel's kind of genocidal kind of bombing campaign on Gaza, and I kind of want to hear your. Um, your kind of position, uh, your perspectives on, you know, what's kind of happening. Because, um, yeah, you write here that, you know, there needs to be a kind of immediate ceasefire and a just political resolution of this kind of ongoing conflict. And I guess I want to kind of hear some of your comments on that. Yeah, yeah. Look, there, if there is no resolution, I don't think, to either Gaza or the Palestinian situation as a whole without... A ceasefire, first of all, there has to be. There are 2.3 million people living in this tiny, tiny strip of land, you know, that, as I said, is no bigger than the peninsulas here in, in um, Victoria, in Melbourne. And um, there is no resolution without a ceasefire to begin with. It has to be. Like, I've been listening to the, the, the one to open the wrap-up um, checkpoint to allow um, aid in, and Biden's crying about the fact that they will allow 20, <laughs> 20 trucks in for 2.3 million people. You know, this is... If it wasn't so serious, it's almost like a satire that we're watching. And, and then even just to get the trucks in, Egypt has to fix the road that the Israelis bombed on Monday. We can't even get the trucks past the border if they don't fix the road because the Israelis bombed that border crossing to stop anybody getting in or out. Um, we're not just talking about getting in, we're also talking about getting out because we've got this sort of fig leaf that, that they have to stop Hamas. Um, you know, like the whole thing is just so fraught with... Um, immense, immense contradictions, and yet there's 2.3 million people in there dying every day. Like, we're now up to 3,500 Gazans murdered. Um, like, how many how many Gazans have to die before everyone starts going, what, how are we going to resolve this problem? Because you can't just bomb places into submission. We know, well, unless you just kill everybody. So is the world prepared to watch as 2.3 million people are killed? Um, a terrifying prospect in the way the American president talks. You almost think that maybe they are, except they know there'd be ramifications. That would cause massive conflict within the Middle East and indeed to American citizens and Israeli citizens internationally. 
So I don't think that there's a solution until they stop the bombing, till there's a ceasefire, and they begin to actually negotiate on the future for this part of the world. Can you comment on the importance of international solidarity, given the extent to which the people of Palestine are under this crushing military occupation by the Israeli Defence Force for decades, and at moments like now it's incredibly violent. Um, How important are protests like we saw last night in Coburg and last Saturday in the middle of Melbourne and in other cities around the world? I think it's decisive, absolutely decisive. And I think every city that has a rally matters, like, on the one hand, cities like Istanbul and um, 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 and places in Egypt, in Yemen, in all of these ones, and some of them are having massive rallies, that's putting huge pressure on the West. This is one of the main reasons why the West is going, basically telling Israel, uh, can you maybe pull back on your bombing, can you let some humanitarian aid in, that's having massive impact. In the West, even the rally like the one that we had last night in Coburg, which was very successful, a thousand people, um, and, and pretty angry, and not just not just um, Palestinians, like everybody was there, very diverse. These had an impact on our own government as much as anything. So the great example, I reckon, is the way that Ed Husick has now broken cabinet solidarity to say that the Australian government must say something about the collective punishment of people in Gaza. That is a great step forward, and that shows the impact of rallies, marches, um, all the stuff that's going on in Australia at the moment, because the community that supports the rights of Palestinians is becoming bigger. Um, we're going to have a vigil in, in Geelong this coming Thursday, and, and the diversity that we're seeing already is between socialists on the one hand and, and Muslim activists through the mosque on the other hand. So this is bringing about amazing um, alliances of people who are disgusted with what Israel and, and the United States are prepared to prosecute against the Pal- essentially defenceless Palestinian people. Hmm. And, you know, we may see, we may see, you know, a little bit of a more careful response from the Australian government rather than just their slavish, yes sir, no sir, three bags full sir attitude towards the United States. And um, I guess I want to kind of hear... Um in terms of one of the things as well is that we've kind of noticed about Palestine, and I guess this um, this relates to the kind of those the important part of why global solidarity is so important. But all around the world, you know, Western governments are completely committed to supporting um, supporting Israel from the United States, who is one of the biggest sort of backers in terms of providing military um, military funding to Israel. Um, to even um, to even um, to even Australia, and I guess I want to kind of hear. You kind of went in into a bit of a kind of analysis. What do you think are kind of some of the roots of why these Western governments are so complicit in Israel's um, war crimes against Palestinians and their and the support for their continued occupation? 
Well, I argue in the article, but of course, I, I, you know, I think this is really true, that Israel is used as a beachhead by imperialism. In other words, they, since the uh, end of the Second World War, but prior to it as well, so you've got to remember, if you go back to that Second World War period, um, that whole area of Palestine, as it was called, you know, the whole area, was actually a protectorate, and the British had control of it. And they had promised since 1917 that they would give back the whole area to um, the Jews. And then, of course, the devastation of World War Two, you know, the genocide that was practised against the Jews, um, meant that really the West was beholden then to saying, oh, well, maybe we better do something, provide a homeland. Now, at no stage was this land empty, or nor was it in a situation where um, the British actually had the right, it, or the United Nations, had the right to give it to um, the Zionists. Uh, but that's what they did, and that created the current situation that we see 75 years ago. Now, why did they do that? It was because strategically um, it was important to have this beachhead controlled by imperialism in the middle of a very volatile and significant region. Uh, it's significant strategically, it's significant for oil, it's significant for um, um, uh, the movement between east and west and so on. So they wanted to have somewhere that was controlled by imperialism to stop um, and to control their interests in that area. Now, problematically, the Palestinians and the Arab states, of course, did not agree to this. <laughs> How do you? you can't just hand our land back to uh, land to someone that doesn't even come from this area? And so there, and we see the whole argue, the whole Zionist argument and the argument against Zionism. Um, and that's why Israel, from that point on, um, and then increasingly from the late forties through to today, has had the um, total support of the West. So anything that they want to do or they think they need to do for their own security, the West immediately supports. And we're not just talking about politicians here. We're talking about Western media as well. And you've only got to look at the difference that the ABC applies to when they're interviewing um, an Israeli spokesperson during this, this um, you know, the horrific stuff that's going on there, or a Palestinian. They treat the Palestinians like rubbish, um, and really rudely, and you have to condemn Hamas before I let you say anything, whereas the Israelis get carte blanche or the Americans to say whatever they like. So essentially, without that beachhead within the Middle East, imperialism doesn't have a local cop that will bomb and um, whenever they feel like it, if they're worried about um, nuclear developments or whatever, and has been able to do so for decades now. And the Palestinian people, it's a little bit like um, First Nations in Australia. They have to be publicly vilified on every level because that helps to keep the myth, not only of Israeli superiority, but of the reasons for why you've got to have a safe Israel there because they are the head cop and they've got all these people that they've got to control. And I'm making it sound a bit simplistic, but that's essentially what's at, what's at the root of the whole thing. Hmm. And um, I want to kind of just hear some of your comments on 
some of the kind of corporate kind of uh, media kind of response to Palestine, because um, obviously you were talking, we've talked about, you know, um, you know, the Western government's kind of support for Palestine, but obviously there's the role that the corporate media has also played. But also, more broadly, um, I want to kind of hear your comments on, you know, on this kind of contradiction by a lot of these Western liberal democracies. Um, and I think it's actually reflected quite well in the corporate media. But basically, when it comes to kind of discussions around Palestine, um, there's actually been deliberate attempts to actually ban the organising of protest uh, of Palestine, especially in parts of Germany, um, in France, but even in Australia. We There was an attempt to stop um, a protest last Sunday from happening in Sydney. And, you know, what does, you know, what does this sort of reveal about, about, um, you know, about the Western liberal democracies where they don't, don't even want to sort of entertain the so-called open democratic discussion, uh, that they apparently are so committed to? <laughs> Laughable, really. Um, well, first of all, I mean, yes, in our own backyard, we've seen state governments usingly, using increasingly repressive legislation to try and stop the protest from proceeding. Um, in the end, they couldn't because the Middle Eastern communities that are very supportive of the Palestinian struggle are so large in places like Sydney and Melbourne that the backlash socially and politically is probably going to be too great. So they were forced to allow a rally, but they put their foot down for a march. I'll be very interested to see if that's going to be the same case this Sunday in uh, in, in um, Sydney. Because um, people are angrier now because of the bombing of the hospital. So there's a lot more anger now, and you could see it in Coburg last night, like at just outrage at what's going on. But in Germany and France, I mean, France, part of the problem in France is it, it, it does have a very large um, Middle Eastern community, but but also it's um, been repressing Algerians. Do you remember Algeria was a was a colony of France? And then as the repression has increased, more and more Algerians have been able historically to come to um, France. And the repression against that community is then spread around the whole of the Middle Eastern community. So they ha- they've, they've stopped rallies. They've now just, I saw a few minutes ago, they've cancelled a big sort of concert um, um, festival thing because they don't, they're, they're really scared that there will be backlashes um, against, like terrorist backlashes, because they know that, that this now heightens the insecurity of the whole region. And Germany's the same. They're very, very fearful of backlashes, so they think that they can ban the rallies. In the end, people will probably end up rallying, but they'll make them more violent. The authorities will make them more violent because of the repression they use against them. So it's it's just a fig leaf of democracy, but it's the other side of it in that they're immensely repressive, and we're seeing it in our own backyard as well. So this adds to the struggle of campaigners like... There's all this shocking stuff going on in Palestine and we're not even allowed to get together to protest about it. Mm. So, you know, it will, I think, actually increase radicalism on some levels, which is, you know, a frightening prospect, but it's directly due to that repression. 
All right. So um, I want to kind of um, wrap up, and um, do you have any kind of like final comments um, that you'd like to make soon? Yeah, I, look, I think um, this really gives us an opportunity throughout Australia to not only make demands on our own government, but to build alliances with sections of the community that we've never seen um, protesting before. So I think now for us as socialists and, or anyone who's progressive or anyone who supports Palestine, this is a really good opportunity for us to build protests and alliances against um, this horrific right-wing imperialist machine. All right. Well, thank you very much, um, Sue. And, yeah, for those who are sort of listening, you can listen to, um, you can read um, Sue Ball's article, but also we have actually a lot of other coverage on Palestine. But Sue Ball wrote an article, um, um, article titled, sorry, I can't seem to get, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get the link to the article Um Basically around um, stopping um, stopping um, Israel's genocidal attack on Gaza. But yeah, thank you very much um, for being on the program, Sue. Thanks, Sue. No problem. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. You were just speaking to Sue Bull, a member of Socialist Alliance, about you know a bit of a political perspective and discussion on the current events that are currently kind of unfolding in Palestine. But I guess just one important sort of plug, you know, for all those who support Palestine and um, want to be part of making um, building a bigger movement for Palestine within within Australia. There is going to be a rally happening at 12 o'clock in um, at the State Library um, this Sunday, and yeah, just encourage everyone to attend that. And I'll also get the details of a speak out happening in Caroline Springs, which is going to be at five um, six p.m. tonight. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR. We're just going to play a quick few announcements. And um, we'll get on to the next interview that we're, um, we're going to be discussing with Peter Boyle. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella. It doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What you need is we got the hand. Lots of changes, we need more brothers, if we're just making it. 3CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on Free CR 855 AM. 
And we're very happy. We're going right into our next interview, live interview for the program with Peter Boyle, who is a member of Social, of Socialist Alliance and part of uh, and a writer for Green Left. And he recently wrote an article titled "After the Referendum, Don't Agonise, Organise." Um, Discussing the current, um, the, re- the results of the voice to parliament referendum that took place last Saturday. Um, good morning, Peter. Good morning, Jacob. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to you from Gadigal land. All this was and all this will be Aboriginal land. Yeah. So, Peter, um, I want to kind of hear, maybe to kind of start off, I want to kind of hear some of your initial thoughts, um, like drawing on, on the article that you put, um, wrote about, you know, how should, you know, left wing, and um, progressive people and, you know, supporters of First Nations rights, you know, respond to the result of the voice to referendum, which, you know, you described in your article as something that most First Nations people have felt that the result is as a slap in the face. Yeah, I, I think that's totally understandable. Uh, I mean, most First Nations people would, would feel that this was uh, an overwhelming rejection uh, by a majority of the population for... You know, an extremely modest proposal for constitutional recognition and to re-establish a First Nations advisory body to parliament and government. And, you know, so, I mean, in one sense, so little was asked for, and uh, yet a majority in every state, uh, in every state, I think ACT was the only territory in which there was uh, a majority for yes, you know, basically rejected it. But it has to be said, you know, um, nearly all previous constitutional referendums have failed. I mean, this is, is, is notoriously hard to win. And yes, you have to admit, the Australian population at this stage is by and large uh, conservative and apolitical. But furthermore, this specific uh, referendum result was, was uh, well predicted by nearly all the opinion polls in the lead-up to October 14. So, you know, in one sense, the result shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. Interestingly, the same polls showed that at the beginning of the campaign, uh, the yes side had 60% of the vote, but it steadily lost that ground uh, uh, over the course of the campaign, basically reversing the, the situation. So, Starting with 60% for yes and 40% for no, it was reversed to, you know, 40% yes, in actual fact slightly less, and and 60% no. So how how do we explain uh, this trajectory? Now, I think it has to be said that the the, uh, official no campaign from the very start was unashamedly tapping pressing uh, the uh, the racist, uh, you know, um, using the racist arguments, if not directly, tapping it in an indirect way. Uh, it really played to racism in an unashamed way. So I would say this is a reason why we can't explain what happened, the reversal of the, of the numbers, the balance over the course of the campaign, purely... Uh, by saying, well, you know, this is a very racist country, you've got entrenched racism, and that's the reason for it. Though there is no doubt that racism is a, was a big part of, of the result. I think that the shift that took place over the campaign really has to be blamed on the, the Yes campaign, because it was like it had a, a major flaw in it.
made for the start. Because on one hand, it was designed to be so minimalist and conservative in the hope by its architects of getting bipartisan support, so support from the coalition as well as Labour. Because, you know, the understanding was that, you know, you, you can't actually win a constitutional referendum in Australia or in current conditions or in the conditions of the last, uh, you know, uh, what decades, unless you have bipartisan support. However, it's failed to get that bipartisan support and yet continued as though, you know, that was the game plan. And consequently, you know, it was highly contradictory in the arguments it flirted. It made huge promises that simply did not match the, 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 the limited nature of its proposals. For example, it was suggesting that, you know, simply by having constitutional recognition, which we already have in every single state constitution, um, and by establishing an advisory body, which we have in some states, would somehow close the gap between First Nations people and the rest of the population. I mean, who? I mean, you'd really, you'd really either not be paying attention, or you'd be extremely uh, naive to think that that would do the job. So it was basically based on a lie. Uh, and and the more they, it, the campaign seemed to not get traction. Uh, the more it went on with this rhetorical, oh, this is your last chance. You know, this is going to do it. Um, Completely ridiculous thing. So I think it was very unconvincing. Um, I think at one stage, uh, Noel Pearson, who was you know leading light of the uh, of the of the Yes campaign, even said, you know, thinking this was a winning argument. Oh well, white people can then blame First Nations people uh, if the gap's not closed if you give us a voice to Parliament. I mean, what kind of argument is that? Uh, honestly, um, I think. Observing all the arguments and what Noel Pearson said is a very good way of really coming to the guts of what the problem was here. Just before the vote, uh, Noel Pearson did a private meeting with uh, the elite uh, King School in Sydney and Gardy. And he, and he, came, he, he made this statement, which was reported in a number of newspapers. He said, frankly, the voice is a proposal so pathetically understated that I'm amazed that Indigenous people are settling for it. After all, he said, I helped design it as something so modest so no reasonable non-Indigenous person could reject it. More fool me. That's what he said. So he admitted it from the start. Uh, he, he spent all his time, he said, basically in discussion with Conservatives. First of all, with former Prime Minister John Howard. Uh, and, you know, they're basically cooked up the essential proposal from that. So he was felt a bit, a bit betrayed because Noel Pearson, of course, used to be the First Nation darling of the right, right? He was a, he was a lawyer, and he made his name basically attacking the so-called left for allegedly inculcating a sense of victimhood into First Nations people and making them dependent on welfare. Now, you can imagine, you know, he was saying that, and in the context of the, uh, the neoliberal uh, right-wing offensive that's been you know, besetting Australia and other countries for, for decades now, uh, Noel Pearson was, you know, he was welcomed as a, the voice of the future for First Nations people. He was given platforms and, you know, financial review, the Australian, you know, 
right-wing think tanks. Everybody wanted to, 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 to promote him. So he was the poster boy of the right, really. But now, of course, he's been supplanted by other poster people, Jacinta Price and Warren Mundine. They're the ones that they, they, they now favour. Um, just, just before we yeah, maybe but, talk a little bit more about that, I, I think the point that you raise here is a really critical one, Peter, about Pearson himself saying this was such a weak proposal and, and I don't understand why Aboriginal people didn't reject it. I mean... A, we know that there were quite prominent uh, black activists who, who did reject it. Probably most famously is Lydia Thorpe leading the progressive no, but she was not alone. There was a lot of other people, including uh, Robbie Thorpe here at 3CR. One of the hosts was like quite insistent on a progressive no sort of case. Um, in that context, that there was not bipartisan support for this referendum, do you think that... Um, if the referendum had been more substantial and had promised more, and I don't know exactly what that would have looked like, maybe guaranteed funding for Aboriginal community organisations, treaty, a promise to implement the um, the uh, findings of the, the recommendations of the, the Royal Commission into Black Deaths in Custody, if the, if the campaign had been more substantial, do you think that uh, actually it may have gained more vigorous support from progressives and from the Aboriginal community and therefore may have had a better chance of getting up? Well, in actual fact, uh, a number of people who were in the progressive no camp, including Lydia, Lydia Thorpe and, and um, uh, uh, Michael Mansell, have indicated that you know you, you, if it had been a proposal that was uh, more substantial, it would have their support. Now, I should say, of course, I mean most of your readers probably know this that I was making the point that you know this 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 whole yes campaign was a creature of the most conservative wing of the First Nations community of, of you know if you want to call it leaders and in inverted commas, whereas virtually. All the leadership, or you know, 90% of the leadership of the militant grassroots section of the First Nations community leadership uh, were in the Progressive No camp. So, I mean, that's that that was a that was a, a contrast that, of course, struck everybody from the beginning of the campaign. And uh, it and yet the way a lot of people who were supporting the Yes campaign were carrying on, it was almost like they were in denial. They wanted. They kept on with the pretense, and this was another core lie in the whole campaign, that somehow that the uh, the very limited conservative proposals of the campaign were coming from the as a unanimous voice from First Nations people, and that was not true, and everybody could see it was not true. Yet they kept kept repeating it over and over and over again. I think that was pathetic. Now, you know, two things. One is that. You know, maybe not everybody in the progressive no uh, side would have come at an amended, more ambitious proposal. But there were things that were said. For instance, um, uh, uh, well, Lydia did say, you know, if the government had had negotiated with her and actually made some proposals to make to deliver some concrete rights, say on 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 death in custody, for instance, um, you know. She would come to the table. Michael Mansell said, and, and, and Michael Mansell's not the only one, says, you know, rather than have an advisory body that, you know, can just simply 
you know, okay, we've listened to you, we've ticked that box and we'll carry on and do what we want. He prefers a system a bit like in Aotearoa in New Zealand where there are designated seats for First Nations people, for Maori people. Because he basically then says, and, and you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, strength in this argument, you know, let's not be naive, you know, what's, what's advice? What difference is advice going to make? What difference has it made in the past? But if you actually have a guaranteed uh, First Nations voice in Parliament, you have a point from which you can fight, you know, a point from which you can campaign. So that's, that's, that's the logic, logic of that. Second question is that, of course, if the government, if the Labour government had been willing to, to make the, what would seem to have been the obvious adjustment, if you don't have bipartisan support, you know, go for something better, um, would that have won the, a majority support in the, in, in, in the referendum? would have been interesting, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I think it would have meant that you'd have to have a different kind of campaign, a campaign that had a lot more truth-telling in it instead of a whole pile of bullshit-telling. Uh, uh, certainly people would have had to move along. But, you know, in the history of politics, uh, that's, how, that, that, that's how opinion changes. You have a vigorous debate, a discussion. You tell the truth. Home truths come in. Uh, people start to change. Young people first. And that's another point which, I mean, so striking about the election result, you know, and this is the, the, the silver lining, if you like. You know, I think to the extent that you say that the raw yes vote uh, from the non-First Nations people was by and large people wanting in some sort of vague way to, to, to be on the side of First Nations people, to, to, to give respect and recognition to that position, to that extent, the fact that overwhelmingly young people were voting yes, I think, uh, is a sign of hope. It, it, it reaffirms what we've many of us have seen in the streets for the last few years, particularly uh, on Invasion Day. Mm. You know, these huge crowds of people, mostly young people, right? Uh, that, that they could become, they could fight for something more concrete. I mean, they had thin offerings. They had vote yes or vote no, and they said, of course, we're going to vote yes because we don't want to be a Peter Dutton and the racist. But if there had been a more uh, um, ambitious campaign, could they have been mobilised, you know, a, a bit more enthusiastically than the kind of formal mobilisation that the official yes campaign, which has by and large called upon the Labour ranks, you know? Hmm. I want to go into kind of, I think, because I think there's been a lot of kind of great points to kind of um, that are kind of raised there, and I think one sort of um le- i think one sort of important um takeaway that actually i think we should take from the referendum and in the context of zane's question and your response to it um peter i think that you know what the campaign kind of reflects is there's it's almost sort of like the inability of the alp to challenge racism in fact they're not even willing to actually put a kind of anti-racist argument although that said you know you could <laughs> the argument uh, there's an argument to be made and of course this is what some of the progressive no activists kind of allude to you know because of the um is that you know one of the one of the one of the problems as well is that the ALP are the same party. You know, state governments are basically introducing repressive laws that you know target First Nations people, building new jails, uh, building new jails. There's also the fact that one of the biggest sponsors of the Yes campaign was Rio Tinto, and um, and I also think that you know 
I think there is a level, a sort of level of kind of demoralization around the result. But I do think that, you know, you raise this kind of a point that, you know, conservative ideas often kind of dominate most of the time under capitalism because the ruling class has ample means to keep people depoliticized, confused and divided. But I think, you know, you conclude with the point that we have to, we can't, we can't be demoralized by this result. We actually have to, um, organize. And I guess, what are your, some of your comments on the things that need to be done in order to fight, you know, to fundamentally fight for First Nations rights, especially addressing the failures of the ALP in mounting this, this official yes campaign? Yeah, well, I think truth-telling, truth you could say, is, is going to be a part of it. I mean, first of all, look, if, if, if the result, you know, if you, if you want to read the result in the most negative way possible, Australian people are incorrigibly racist, you know, and conservative, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, if we want to change society, we've got to start from understanding what the real situation is. No point fooling ourselves, right? So, I, 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 I think in the first, from the, uh, the first step is, is to recognise the reality, and part of that reality, of course, is that uh, look, the Labour Party is not on our side. I mean, it was clear. That was as, as clear as mud as well through the campaign. Because on one hand, you got all this kind of like, kind of like, oh, you know, going to close the gap, last chance, you know, you know, last chance, you know, it's historical chance, etc., etc., etc. Same time, of course, as 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 you have said, Labor governments, state and federal, were at the same time attacking um, First Nations rights. You know, on the federal level as well. You know, I mean, they were they were supporting the mining companies against several indigenous communities, you know, uh, gas mining companies, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then there's the West Australian one. Yes. <laughs> you know, how embarrassing is that? That photograph of Prime Minister Anthony Albanese in the Rio Tinto shirt. <laughs> I mean, for God's sake, you know. And at the same time, not only Rio Tinto destroying the, the, the Jukan Gorge rock shelters, 46,000-year-old, you know, proof of, of continuous First Nations uh, uh, occupation of this area. Uh, but also then uh, the Labor government in Western Australia backflipping on its own uh, response in terms of toughening Indigenous heritage protection laws. Um, and, yeah, the shocking thing, I thought, when, when the Queensland Labor government, you know, did that um, legalise locking up young people in police lockups, you know. Mm. I mean, it's I mean, that, you know, yeah, how disgraceful! I mean, how dare a Labor Party person say we want to say in First Nations deaths in custody? If you, if we, if Australia continues to lock up young people, overwhelmingly First Nations people, from the time they are fourteen, thirteen, whatever, you know, that just guarantees that. The, the future First Nations deaths in custody are going to even spiral even more. It's going to be even higher than it is today because it is in exact proportion to the disproportionate incarceration of First Nations people. And everybody knows now that the numbers are, are shocking because not only the adult First Nations populations overrepresented, the, the youth First Nations people are doubly overrepresented. So you, you, you might as well be condemning a future generation of First Nations people to death in custody by doing this. So we've got to recognise the facts. I think that's the, that, that's the, that's the first part. Um, 
And and therefore, I don't feel like, you know, I mean, I understand that people feel a bit sad and feel a bit demoralized now. But look, facts are facts, you know. And, and, and actually, we can learn out of all this. We can learn how to fight better in a future campaign. All right. Well, um, do you have any kind of final comments that you'd like to make, Peter? Uh, I think that, um, you know, I, I'm already feeling like the, you know, the sort of like the, 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 uh, the moaning side is already passing. Uh, I, I, I don't think, actually, you know, it was hard to predict in advance, you know. Uh, and, and the first, the first, the first couple of days after, you could, you could literally feel it. But honestly, for most First Nations people, there really is no time for this kind of agonizing. There never has been time. Yeah. You know, stuff is going all the time. Many people are in, you know, from one week to the next. Many First Nations families lurch from one crisis to another. The sorry business coming and going, you know. Uh, one more slap in the face is just one more slap in the face. Um, so I, 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 I feel more and more confident that this is not going to have a long-lasting effect. The most important thing is that you know that we, we that that part of the truth telling that we're going to come into has got to be truth telling about what happened here. Now the Labour Party, I think, does deserve a lot of scrutiny because you cannot tell me that they didn't have internal polling that told them exactly what was going to happen, and yet they persisted. And why? And 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 I think, and this is the point. One point, my final point here, and a point that I made in the article is that. I think it's entirely legitimate for First Nations people to feel like they have been the political football here between the major parties. Because I think the Labour Party, at certain level, has calculated that they were prepared to lose this referendum, uh, but gain some things. One, you know, they gained the sort of like the posture position of, well, we tried. Second thing is that they've actually created uh, a double wedge. They have wedged the uh, Liberal Party or the Dutton leadership, because as you know, most of the seats that Liberals lost to the Teals, they all voted overwhelmingly yes. So Dutton's got a problem now in regaining those seats. Secondly, and this to a slightly lesser extent, they succeeded in wedging the Greens, uh, because through this campaign, I would say, uh, once the break uh, with, with, with Lydia Thorpe happened, the Greens basically tailed the Labour Party. They were ineffective in almost every other sphere of politics in Australia today. The Greens actually appear as a significant, quite sharp opposition to the Labour government. But on this question, they were wedged into tailing the Labour Party. So I feel like, you know, if um, First Nations people got a right to feel like they were, they were used, they were kicked around the football and, and that, that the, Labour, the Labour government actually calculates that in the end, they may very well win out of this loss, if you like. Uh, and, and there's been precedent for this, people have said. Many other governments have put forward constitutional referendum, lost it, and gone on to win the subsequent election. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you. Um, thank you very much for that, Peter. And I think, yeah, I think those are all kind of very important kind of takeaway points um, to take away from the referendum result. But, yeah, thank you very much, Peter, for being on our program. Yeah, cheers. Thanks. Thanks, James and Jacob.
All right. We we're just speaking to Peter Boyle um, about um, a bit of a, a political analysis on the referendum result. Um, I'll just add one more. I want, I'll add one extra comment as well. Um, in terms of like Labor's sort of, um, uh, in terms of Peter Boyle's point about, you know, the question of why Labor persisted with the referendum. You know, one of the other reasons that the Labor Party apparently persisted with the referendum is it was one of the election promises that Albanese made. And, you know, Albanese always keeps his election promises, just like he kept his election promise about his pitiful climate target, which was, what was the climate target again? 47% by 2030 or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but it's like this whole thing about, you know, election promises, because basically the Labor Party has it has this has this pretension that they've been elected with a mandate to implement all their election promises, despite the fact that actually a significant minority actually voted for Greens MPs <laughs> and other independents who have actually been pushing for stronger poli- um, who've been pushing for stronger policies than what they've been willing to put forward. Hmm. But yeah, I think it's just a, a a total joke in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's like we're a minority and we can't govern without the Greens, and yet democracy says only what we have a mandate for must pass. We can't have any kind of compromise with this other party that we've had to go into coalition with, basically, to form government. Yeah. It's a funny reading of democracy, that one. Mm. All right, we'll just play a quick few announcements, and you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we've got the hell. Lots of changes, we need more brothers. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And I thought we'd actually just play a quick song, actually, um, before we go go on to the Green Left activist calendar. But, you know, it's quite an appropriate moment to kind of play this song, but I thought we'll play Long Live Palestine by Low Key. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. This is for Palestine, Ramallah, West Bank, Gaza This is for the child that is searching for an answer Wish I could take your tears and replace them with laughter Long live Palestine, long live Gaza Palestine, Ramallah, West Bank, Gaza This is for the child that is searching for an answer Wish I could take your tears and replace them with laughter Long live Palestine while we listen to tunes made by ignorant fools Israel blocked the UN from delivering food They 
bring in the troops and you won't even glimpse of the new. They make money off the products that we're quick to consume. And it's not simply a question of differing views. Forget emotions, this is facts. What I spit is the truth. Makes no difference if you're a Christian or if you're a Jew. They're just people living in different conditions to you. They still die when you bomb their schools. Mosques and hospitals, it's not because of rockets. Please, God, can you stop this all? I'm not related to the strangers on the TV. But I relate, because those strangers could have been me. Words can never ever explain the raw tragedy. It's not a war, they're just murdering more rapidly. And we are automatically supporting pure savagery. Imagine how you feel if this was your family. In my heart forever, we stand for peace, times of war, we shan't surrender, remember, it didn't start in this dark December, every coin is a bullet if you're Marks and Spencer, and when you're sipping Coca-Cola, that's another pistol in the holster of them solar soldiers, you say you know about the Zionist lobby, but you put money in their pocket when you're buying their coffee, talking about revolution sitting in Starbucks, the fact is, that's the type of thinking I can't trust, let alone even start to respect before you talk, learn the meaning of that scarf on your neck, forget Nestle, Obama promised Israel 30 billion over the next decade, they're trigger happy and they're crazy, think about that when you're putting huggies nappies on your baby. Just a war over stolen land Why do you think little boys are throwing stones at tanks? And we'll never really know how many people are dead They drop bombs on innocent girls while they sleep in their bed Don't get offended by facts, just try and listen Nothing is more anti-Semitic than Zionism So please don't bring bad vibes when you speak to me There's plenty of rabbis that agree with me It's your choice what you do with this message Don't get it confused, I view this from a human perspective How many more resolutions have to be violated? How many more children have to be annihilated? Israel is a terror state, they're terrorists that terrorise I testify my television, televise them telling lies This is not a war, it is systematic Genocide, but whatever they try, Palestine will never die. West Bank, Gaza This is for the child that is searching for an answer Wish I could take your tears and replace them with laughter Long live Palestine, long live Gaza Palestine, Ramallah, West Bank, Gaza This is for the child that is searching for an answer Wish I could take your tears and replace them with laughter Long live Palestine, long live Gaza Alright, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM and you're just listening to Long Live Palestine by Long Low Key. Alright, now we're a bit late here but we're going to go into the Green Left activist calendar. 
Um, so the first thing I just want to highlight is there's actually going to be a speak out for Palestine tonight. If you happen to live in the western suburbs, um, there's going to be a speak out for Palestine in the Caroline Springs Lake. Um, so if you put that into Google Maps, you can uh, find the kind of location. But I presume locals who might live in the west will probably know where that is. But no, I think it's just um, quite encouraging to see that there's um, some spontaneous sort of local protests sort of happening, especially since um, Melbourne is actually quite a bit scattered in a lot of the cities of um, of Australia are quite scattered and, you know, it can almost be a pretty different world if you live in a place like Caroline Springs and or even Daenong, Um and it's got, you can sometimes be more difficult to get to the city. Um, now, the other event I just want to highlight is um, Ron Guy's Art Not War uh, exhibition is still going till Monday, October the 30th um, at the Le Monde Backroom Gallery at 225 Nicholson Street in Brunswick East. On Saturday, there's um, this weekend, there's actually quite a lot of protests happening. So the first kind of protest I want to highlight is there's going to be an anti-fascist counter-protest, smash transphobia, fight for trans kids, and that's going to be happening at 11am Old Treasury Building and Spring Street in the city. There's going to be a rally, um, Save Our Public Housing at 2pm on Hamsworth, um, Hamsworth Street, um, um, of the park on Harmsworth Street in Collingwood. Um, so that's actually quite, probably quite, um, close to, uh, the Free CR station. Then, um, there's going to be another rally, Stand with Gaza, Stop the Genocide of Palestinians at 12 noon at State Library at, um, on Sunday. Then on Tuesday, there'll be a... Oh, ju- sorry, just regarding the uh, Palestine rally that's happening this Sunday, there's a Unionists for Palestine contingent. Uh, it's meeting at 11.30 a.m. at the sort of southern corner of that uh, State Library um, uh, forecourt uh, down on the corner of Little Latrobe Street and Swanston Street. So if you're a trade unionist... Uh, put your union shirt on, bring a union flag and come and join that unionists for uh, Palestine block at the rally. Hmm. Um, on Tuesday, October 24th, there's going to be a, a, a public forum, Palestine Oppression and Resistance at 6.30pm with a meal from 6pm and this will be at the Resistance Centre, level 5407 Swanson Street in the city. Um, and then just to inform our listeners, um, unfor- um, unfortunately, the Palestinian Film Festival, um, which was going to be from Thursday, October 26th to Sunday, October 29th, has been postponed. Um, not sure when the new date is, but yeah, we'll find out um, shortly. On Friday, um, the 27th of October, there'll be the Palestine National Day, which will be at 5.30pm at the Federation Square. And I actually think that there's also supposed to be a vigil that will be happening around um, at the same location, organised by the same group, uh, organised by APAN. And that's, yeah, that's going to be happening at 7pm. Um, Les Thomas is going to be having a concert of, of his new album, All My Friends Are Superstars, at 3pm on Sunday, October the 29th at Wesley Ann, 250 High Street in Northcote. Um, and then the, um, on Tuesday, November the 7th, there's actually, there's going to be uh, a Rising Tide barbecue fundraiser. Um, I kind of forgot what was, or do you remember the details for that? Uh, do we say it's starting about noon? Yep. Staying about noon, yeah. And it is at the south side of the Yarra at Alexandria Gardens, I think sort of near the boat sheds where those people do the rowing. Um, so the point of that barbecue 
is we want to raise a bit of money so that people who want to attend the blockade of the world's largest coal port at the end of November up in Mullabimba, Newcastle, we can basically provide a bit of a travel subsidy. There's going to be a crowdfund page going around, so keep an eye out for that. And it's also an opportunity to meet up with other people who are part of the NAM Vic uh, contingent that are going to that blockade of the world's largest coal port. So... Yeah, if you're not a horse racing enthusiast, which I'm quietly confident that a lot of 3CR listeners are not actually that big on the old horse racing, uh, come down to, uh, yeah, Alexandria Gardens on Melbourne Cup Day and have a barbecue with some climate activists instead. Okay. Um, the next kind of events to sort of highlight as well um, that are coming up is there's I'm going to be on Friday, November the 10th, there's going to be the Green Left Comedy Debate. We should welcome our new AI overlords, and that's going to be emceed by Tom Ballard, and it's going to be at 6.30 for an 8pm start at the Fitzroy Town Hall, 201 Napier Street. Um, on Saturday, November 11th, there's going to be a night of anti-fascist oi, um, at 8 p.m. at the Cafe um, uh, Cafe Gummo, 711 High Street in Formbury. Um, and then there'll be uh, a public forum organised by Australian Palestine Advocacy Network um, titled Occupation, Accountability and Palestinian Self-Determination. And that's going to be happening at 6 p.m. 26 um, Ferry Street in the city. Um, and then on, sa- on Saturday, um, November the 18th, there's going to be a rally, Bring Them Here, and the ban on refugees stuck in Indonesia, and they'll be happening at 2pm at the State Library. Okay, um, I'll just go play a quick few uh, announcements. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855am. FreeCR is about community and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. Okay, you're listening um, to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. Um, we only have like um, up to seven to eight minutes left for our program. Um, so I thought um, I'll just highlight some news that's actually just come in, uh, especially given the situation that's happening in Palestine right now, um, which is very much very devastating. Um, now, some of the latest news reports that I've just um, heard of is the first kind of um, bit of news is that there has been reports that um, from the Israel Israeli military that basically they are preparing for a ground invasion of of um, Gaza. Now, obviously, that has been a news story for like um, the past week, but the ground invasion hasn't actually started yet, but basically this is sort of an indication that all it's all still um, going to um, plan. And in fact, and I think it's going to be absolutely devastating for Palestinians. And I think this is going to basically, um, this is basically going to, you know, reinforce why you know solidarity is so going to be so important with with, with Palestine. 
And I think, yeah, we have to make the protests that's happening on Sunday to be as big as possible because I think international support, international, you know, condemnation is really the ma- the main thing that we um, that needs to happen. Now, another more interesting kind of report that was all connected. Um, so I, I don't have the full details of, of Joe Biden's visit, but apparently Joe Biden is going to be... Um, doing an address on the current, on the situation in Palestine. And it's basically been predicted by media that he's going to basically be advocating for the Congress to give more support, um, for, um, for Israel, um, which is actually quite outrageous in a lot of ways. And in fact, I almost sort of had a viewpoint that, um, a feeling that Biden might, might have been putting some, because I know, but, you know, the, um, the US is completely behind Israel, but on the other hand, I wasn't a hundred percent clear on whether Israel going with a full ground invasion of Gaza would necessarily be conductive to U.S. imperialist sort of interests. Um, but of course, it looks like Biden's just completely support, um, completely, um, completely backing Israel, which is completely reprehensible in a lot of ways. But actually, what has been interesting, and I think this has been reflective... Well, just just before we get to that, the, the US Congress completely dysfunctional at the moment. They don't have a speaker, and so I think they will have difficulty actually voting up what um, Biden is supporting. So it's it's the Republicans can't agree on a new speaker to put forward. There was some Donald Trump alloy called, by the name of surname Jordan, who... Uh, a bunch of other Republicans were like strongly opposed because this guy was in- involved with January 6th, um, riots. So yeah, that's, that's going to be noting that Biden is, um, a, a craven, um, you know, supporter of the Zionist project. Um, yeah, it's, it remains to be seen that they can even get their Congress together enough to actually vote that up. And, and what were you going to say? You, you were also talking about a State Department official has uh, resigned. Yes, yeah, so a state, the, the State Department official, Josh Poor, who had worked on the transfer of American arms to uh, other countries, that was, um, I think, his job kind of description, um, he's now basically sent um, put out a resignation letter um, that he's basically, he's resigned, he's quit his job over the Biden administration's blind support for Israel. And in his, um, in his sort of reg, and it's being reported in the ABC in a resignation letter that's now gone rile, he's said his job has an, always involved more compre- um, compromises, but he always felt the good he could do outweighed the harm until now. And so, yeah, he's essentially resigned out of um, out of the US government's blind support for Israel and the fact that they're continuing to send um, money and arming um, in arming Israel. So I think you know this. I think this is this is actually reflective of the fact that you know there is um, there is a section of people, even in people who are part of you know ruling class apparatuses and the um, who are actually feeling there are divisions on this question of Israel. And in fact. Um, in an interview that I did with Anthony Lewinstein, you know, he brought up that there's actually, there is actually divisions uh, around the question of Israel within, uh, within the Democrats. And we're also seeing some of those divisions in the Labour Party on, on the question of, of Palestine and Israel, including, in fact, they've just recently, there was, a, um, there's been an, uh, there was an open letter of signed by a number of New South Wales Labour MPs. 
um, that are based by the Friends of Palestine Parliamentary Group. Um, they're basically, you know, um, are basically opposing Chris Min's sort of blind support for Israel and also especially the lighting of, of, of the winning up of the Israel flags and also the fact that they've attempted to repress pro-Palestine sort of protests. So, yeah, I think this is just reflective of the fact that the Palestine Solidarity Movement is having an impact. It's shifting the public discourse and the public discussion around Palestine and those in power are, you know, who are completely blindly supported to the Zionist um, project are, you know, they're wanting to stifle any of the sort of democratic discussion about this because they know that these division, these divisions actually do exist and they don't want it to actually lead anywhere. Hmm. Well, hopefully we'll see more defections and more people speaking out. Okay, well, um, I like to, we're getting to sort of the end of our program, but I guess let's make one last, you know, final plug. Definitely attend the, the rally on at 12 p.m. this Sunday for Palestine. I think it would be very important to make the rally as big as possible because I think, you know, what's happening in Palestine right now is actually an escalation um, of a, um, you know, the occupation has gone on for more than 75 years, but this, the, the outbreak of violence and the, genocidal bombing campaign by Israel it's very much an escalation of of what has of uh, and and it's quite unprecedented unprecedented and i think it demands you know the most the biggest left kind of response that we can get including big protests and we have to continue to put pressure i think though for those who are active in your trade union i think get involved in you know standing up for palestine including passing motions the actu and the victorian trades hall you know have passed you know they put resolutions forward um, in though they some of their statements don't go far enough in terms of in terms of support for Palestine, but it's definitely far much better than what you know our government is what the Albanese government is put forward so yeah all right well I'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in this week um stay tuned for I think left after breakfast, which we'll be playing after this program, and yeah. You can um, um, this will be available as a podcast, so you can listen back to the program. But yeah, I'd like to thank all our guests for being on our program and our listeners. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit. If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au slash support or free call 1-800-634-206. Arise, you workers from this farmers. Arise, you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now thunders and at last since the age of Kant. Away with all your superstitions. Serve all masses. Arise. Arise. Change henceforth the old tradition and spurn the dust to win the prize. That's right, the commies are back. Reds underneath your beds and that crap.